And tonight we're preparing for the return of Christ. That's the title of the message. And we should be, because I am of the opinion that we are very near his return. We'll be talking on those things in the next couple of weeks uh, here next week and uh, this chapter and then on Sunday. So we're kind of hitting it all week long. One of the things we can't lose sight of and is our lives are to be pleasing in God's sight. The most important thing in your life isn't what you do, it's what you're becoming. And this is what God is concerned about. Our walk with God, our relationship with God, you know, people call you and me, we're, we're really religious. All oh, those people are really religious. But it's, our walk is not about religion. It is really about a, a loving relationship that we have with God. You know, um, religious people do what they think will please the gods. There's a lot of religious people in the world. And they feel as though their activity and the way they conduct themselves will be pleasing to their gods. And of course, people that don't know God at all and don't respect religion in that regard, they just live for themselves. I mean, that's just plain and simple. But you and I... As true believers, we, our goal is to be pleasing to God. Our aim is something that is not something we can attain to it in the flesh. Jesus said, I, I do always those things that please the Father. Now, he's the only man that could say that. Would to God that we could all one day say that. That's, our, that's what we're striving for. And so in light of what he's already said to these people and, and having received a good report in the previous chapter from Timothy about what was going on there and they're continuing in the faith despite the fact that they were being hammered and persecuted. Not only by the, the, the Judaizers who, who were sort of like the Reformed theology people who just chased down Christians and had, make no converts. They just... They, they just followed Paul around and they harangued the new converts, trying to bring them under the law. And then when that didn't work to the degree that they were satisfied, then they would bring in the authorities and pay them money to persecute the church. And these people were staying true to, to the Lord. They were truly saved and converted. So in light of the Lord's return, Paul in this chapter, is what we consider chapter 4, is exhorting the church there in Thessalonica to moral purity. There's nothing more important than to be ready for the Lord to take you either prior to the rapture or at the rapture and to appear before him unashamed. The last thing you want to be doing is living in sin when the Lord comes back or when the Lord takes you. We don't want to be in that group that gets knew their Lord's will and didn't do it, and you know, got beat with many stripes. <laughs> now you can figure out exactly what that means because I'm still working on that one. <laughs> but I don't want a beating. <laughs> Never did like spankings as a kid, and I haven't learned to 
like him as an adult any more than that. So we have to be careful how we conduct ourselves uh, in this world. There are people who go to church and could care less about what anybody else thinks of them in their business deals and the way they conduct themselves. And in so doing, they have brought reproach to the name of Christ. We have to be cognizant. We have to be careful and mindful of how we are conducting ourselves before the unbelievers. Because if we begin, if we aren't and we live and we do things that are shady or, or immoral and we start to witness for them or they find out that we're Christians, I mean, what kind of reflection that is up upon the Lord? I mean, it's not a good one, you know. And so we're, we're to represent Him. We live in a crooked, perverse culture. This world is so corrupt. And and this is what makes us stand out. You know, like when you receive, you know, an extra $50 uh, f- accidentally from the checkout clerk. And then as you begin to walk out, you realize that she gave you back too much change. And too many dollars. And you turn around and you go back, you know, I think you miscounted this, ma'am. And you give it to her. And they, <gasps> you know, gasp like, oh, well, thank you for being honest. You know, that's rare. That's like a shock to them. They're like, you brought that back? Yeah. I don't answer to you, lady. I answer to God. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. That's the kind of heart that we're to have and to maintain here. So let's just cover the first 12 verses here. I'm just going to let it fly because it's good stuff. <laughs> Finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us and how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, and as we have testified and forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Paul is a very practical, he's a tremendous teacher of the truth and, and what we refer to as Christian living, how to live, he exhorts, instructs regularly. But he just here in this final paragraph that we've read just some practical sound advice 
You want to know what the will of God is? Well, there's a number of things in this passage that we've read that really should make it plain. And I always say, you know, we should be so busy doing the do's that we just don't have time to do the don'ts. And there's a number of don'ts that he lists here that are important that we do avoid. But finally, you know, he starts out finally. You know, that really doesn't mean much. It's kind of like the pastor who says, um, who looks at his watch. Well, I don't, you know, most of us don't wear watches anymore. But, you know, what a pastor used to look at his watch. You know what that means, right? Nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it just makes you think that he's thinking maybe, you know, that he's about to wrap it up. And is that the word finally here? Well, it's moving on to the end, but I'm not finished quite yet, you know. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> so he, Paul exhorts them, he prays for them, he reminds them, just a good shepherd of the sheep urging them to grow, to increase, and to abound in what they are already doing. And this is, this is sort of like, I think people get bored with doing some of the same things over. I mean, you know, like some of the things we do in life we have to do over and over. It's just part of life. You know, like eating, for example. You know, do you get tired of eating? Maybe. <laughs> tired of doing the dishes, okay. Yeah. I think, praise the Lord for, you know, dishwashers, you know. <laughs> but, you know, you might get tired of eating the same food if you ate the same food every day. But you never really get tired of eating. You kind of need to do that. Or drinking water. I mean, depending on how much volume you drink of water, right? You get tired of drinking water. A couple gallons, that's a little over the top. And... This is the same for us, our spiritual hygiene, our spiritual health. We do a lot of the same things over and over. You pray every day. You read your Bible every day. You walk with God every day. These are the necessary things of life. And if it's boring, it's because you you and I may not be exercising our abilities to their fullest extent. I think this is why a lot of people are, are depressed. They get discouraged and they're down in the dumps and woe is me. You know, the Eeyore disposition disposition takes over. You're turned inward, you're focused on self, and you're not developing and exercising your creativity. You know, and and then the amount of depression depends on your ego and your superego. You know, know, the, the way the psychologists would explain it, you know, along the ideas of human behavior. You have the superego kind of, you know, well, this is what I, this is who I think I am and what I want to appear to be before other people. And then, then there's reality. <laughs> this is who I really am. And you look in the mirror and like, okay. And so the greater that gap between the superego and the reality of who you really are is the amount in, of depression you're going to experience. And so... In this, but this is what the world does. This is a world solution. It's just sort of the way we're made. I mean, it's just studying human behavior. You, this is kind of the way we're, we're, we're put together. And psychologists, rather than you know, trying to lift up you know, where you really are to this point where you think you should be and what you really want to be and, and wish you were, they just try to lower that expectation. And the thing about God is he never does that. This is what you want to be. This is who I made you to be. 
Well, I'm going to take you there by the power of my spirit. I'm going to transform your life. And there's that hope and that gap between what you are and what God wants you to be. Because it's not your ideal. Now you've been changed into his ideal to be just like Christ. It's a wonderful plan that God has put together. And Paul is exhorting them out of his love without manipulation, without coercing. It is a, it is a, an urging and an exhortation r- allowing people to choose, knowing that people are free. When people try to put something on you and control you, that's not how we've learned Christ. That's not the way of the Lord at all. We may be disappointed with one another. We may have expectations of one another, but that doesn't give us a right to you know, move in and judge them and seek to move them to a, a place where they should be or they ought to be by now. You know, I always come back to this phrase the Lord's given me. God knows how to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Now, I don't know how to do that, but he sure does. And I think about his patience and his love and his grace in my own life over all the years. And I think, you know, should I not have the same grace? Should I not extend the same grace to others? Of course. And so he again reminds them of the commandments of the Lord. And then just goes right into it. This is the will of the Lord. Your sanctification. What, God, what is God's will for your life? You just, that you get changed you become more Christ-like. You're sanctified. You're, and that just means set apart. You're set apart from the world. You know, we read that scripture, referred to that scripture in First John two fifteen through 18 there. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Well, the idea there is that we are, it is essentially trying to communicate, stop doing it. We already love the world, but you need to stop doing that because God is setting you apart. That's a pretty harsh statement that John makes in that letter, too, because if we have the love of the world in our hearts, we have not the love of the Father. That's a harsh thing. And notice, positionally, we are clean. What we're talking about here and what Paul's emphasizes is experientially. What am I doing day to day? Positionally, I'm in Christ. As he said to the disciples, you're already clean through the word which I've spoken to you. But you need your feet washed. We need our feet washed every day. We get, wa- we get a little dirty walking in the air from day to day, place to place. And we do this by simply abiding in him. But he gets a little more pointed because in this day and age, in Macedonia, in that culture, in Greece, that whole Roman culture in the time uh, is is the same as it is today. They actually believe that fornication was was an acceptable practice. Nobody condemned one another for that practice, but it was not to be named in the church. The church was different. The world just does what they do, but not so for the body of Christ. He tells them to abstain from fornication. That's a broad word, it means any kind of sexual relationship outside the marriage covenant. And so, you know, there's a whole list of those things. Homosexuality, any kind of sexual perversion, 
you know, we're now being taught several the last few decades that this is just a natural thing. Some people are just born that way. Baloney. It's just not true. We're now conditioning kids to think it's okay to, to look at pornographic things. Pornography is fine. doesn't hurt anybody. Well, it's very destructive. It's like a drug upon the brain. It's not satisfied with simple nudity. It must advance itself like drug abuse. And this is something that it's a, it's a scourge in our culture. It's a destructive thing. For those who battle with it, I want to give you some encouragement. Stop watching TV. Just stop it. You think, you're kind of legalistic, aren't you? No, I call it wisdom. Because I believe television is a gateway into pornography. It loosens you up. Guys especially, we're, you know, this visual thing going on, we can't help ourselves, we're just made that way. And I watched a, a clip, I've, someone sent this to me. Uh, uh, the, the thing was, this is a, this should be, this woman should be proud of her husband. And I don't even know that they were believers. So they're sitting in the car, and, and the guy's looking down, and she says to her husband, Wow, look at this woman. Oh my goodness, she's, oh, she's so beautiful. And he's just looking down at his steering wheel, and she just keeps writing him about. And finally, he puts his mask over his eyes. And then he raises his voice and says, Look, you're the most beautiful person in my life. I don't want to look at this other person. That's, that's our kind of guy. The world doesn't see it that way. I condemn homosexuality, but we love the homosexual. It is a sin, it's unnatural, so it's up the scale from other fleshly things because these kinds of sin involve not only the flesh, but the flesh and the spirit. And when you have a sin that is involved not only the fallen nature, but the spirit that's involved with that, then it becomes a major stronghold in a person's life. I'm of the strong opinion, and there are those who disagree with me, but I believe that uh, there's demonic activity involved in, in people who become homosexual. There's a, now, I have one, before I was converted, uh, I wasn't homosexual or anything like that, but I know what it is to have a demon. And I understand how that works. And so... Uh, Part of why I say that is my own personal experience before conversion, the demonic activity. And I believe homosexuality is a gateway into pedophilia. Almost all pedophiles are homosexuals. And so there's connections here. These things are they're demonic in their stronghold when a person yields and gives themselves to that. And this is what he's talking about. Abstain from sexual immorality. 
Don't open that. It doesn't matter what the standard of the world is. This is what God says. And so I, your argument, you can criticize me or persecute me all you want. You're, you've got to take this subject up with God. And um, as he says here, know how to possess your own vessel. And the idea there is, you know, as Paul says to the Corinthians, it's better to marry than to burn. If you aren't married and you're have a, you don't have the gift of being single, then find a wife, find a husband, and get married. It's just that's, and then as you are married, honor the marriage bed. Keep yourself pure in your thought life and in your relationship with your spouse. In honor, not in the passion of lust. You know, there's restraint. There's other-centeredness in that kind of relationship in the marriage bed. Not like the Gentiles, as he says here. They're lost. It's just a physical thing to them. They don't, they're blind. They don't get it. So, saying that because fornication is present in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's not preached against enough. If you are living in a, in a situation like that, you need to repent. In fact, I actually believe this with all my heart. If you don't repent, you're not really saved. If you are a truly born-again Christian, you cannot live in sin. God will deal with you. And, and if you refuse Him, your heart will harden. And you're, you'll turn your back. This is what leads people to turn away and apostatize is because they're not willing to repent and turn to God. And so, based on what we've learned about our church, you can tell I'm not messing around with the sin in the church. I'm going to tell it like it is because God has called us to holiness and it means something. If that offends people and they don't come, again, we just refer to the scripture. They went out from among us because they were not of us. For if they would have been of us, they would no doubt continued with us. So choose this day who you're going to serve. Yourself, your flesh, or the Lord. Now there's room for failure. We've all sinned and fallen short of the God's glory. But there should be brokenness and repentance. And so I realize I'm probably be preaching to the empty chairs tonight, but who knows who's going to listen to this? Hopefully. So, moving on here. You know, as I think about this, as Galatians 5 come to mind. And so, so, so in, in this, well, that's just your opinion, Pastor. Okay, fine. That's what you might think. Well, let's just go with what the Scripture says. I'm okay. I, I'm fine with just... Oh, going with what the scriptures say, right? Galatians five sixteen through twenty one, Paul's letter to to the church of in, churches in Galatia, there in Asia Minor, you know, before he went over to Macedonia. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the lust for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. So, I don't know that there's anything in there that contradicts what I said prior to that. And if there is something there that I've said prior to reading that verse that's contradictory to that, please tell me. And I'll repent from saying such things. Paul's talking about this whole thing that was going on in the church and and a temptation for it to happen in the church. Look, don't take advantage of your brother. Don't defraud your brother. And so he gives four reasons why you should remain sexually pure. Keep your mind in the right place and out of the gutter. Think pure thoughts. And I like what he says to Timothy. Treat the older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters. Now, you look at a woman and you, your mind begins to wonder, fellas, I mean, how would I... Tr- Think, how would I treat my sister? <laughs> that sort of brings it perspective there, and that's the idea. But four reasons not to be sexually impure. One, first of all, you're going to be judged by God. You think you're going to get away with this? <laughs> no, you're not. God will judge and he will avenge this. Secondly, we're called to holiness, not uncleanness. We are not to reject God's word. This isn't the word of Paul. This is the word of God. If you reject this teaching, then you're rejecting God's words and you will stand and be held accountable before God. The idea of despising there is, or rejecting rather, is just to despise, to spurn. It's really regarding what God says as, well, that doesn't really mean that. That it's really not. And number four, look, if you truly are born again, you have the Spirit of God. You're saved. So God is requiring moral purity in the church of Jesus Christ. And we should strive, as I said earlier, to be pleasing in God's sight. Verses 9 through 12, and we'll finish this up here. Walking properly in the world. And the idea of properly is in good form, in an honorable way, doing the, do it, doing the right thing. Um, so that you're not, you, you know, 
above reproach is the word that's used for elders in the church. And the idea there is the same idea here is to not have a handle in your life, so to speak, that someone could pick up on and use it, that against you. you create, you're living in such ways to not create offense in that horizontal relationship. And then if it would be present, it would become vertical because they would, you know, as David says, you, you know, Nathan says, you've given the occasion of the enemies of God to blaspheme by your behavior. And so this is what we're trying to avoid because we love God. And, 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 and I believe the key to all of this, the foundational thing in all of this is, is something that can only be delivered into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is the fear of the Lord. Now, if you read in Isaiah, where it talks about the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit upon the Messiah, one of those, you know, the spirit of counsel and of might and of understanding, that whole thing, one of them is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, I thought about that. The, you know, I've thought about that a lot. In, in the sense that, why would Jesus need the spirit of the fear of the Lord? I mean, he's God in the flesh. Why does he need that? Well, there's something about human nature that needs that. Now, I'll, let's back up a minute. The angels need that. Why do you say that? Well, think about the angels that left their first estate and mingled with strange flesh. They had, their domain was heavenly and they entered in man's domain and defiled themselves with women. You know, they did that because they no longer respected the Lord. Now, I don't quite get a... I can't get my mind around that. How could you... Has an angel created perfectly. And Yahweh's right there. I mean, right there's the throne. And there's the glory of God. And I don't respect that. Is it, is it because God is so fantastic and, and that radiant glory is so incredible that I can't really absorb that as being a finite being, which angels are. And I just see the manifestation of the angel of the Lord, Jesus, who is God, the Son of God, but God, in a sense, manifests himself in that form to become tangible with his creations to be able to re- interact and relate. Just like he became a man, he became an angel to minister unto them. But they know, because he's so humble and quiet and lowly in heart, they lost, like, they turned their backs on him and they lost respect for God. And they did those heinous committed those heinous crimes. I don't know. Like I said, I probably think too much about certain things. But it's, it's really no different than us when we know we go to do something and we know it's wrong, but we are so fallen and so stubborn and rebellious that we just plow right through it and do it anyway. And <clears throat> then we regret it. So, you know, we can't throw stones here. It's just who we are. We're fallen. We need help. But he finishes up here with walking properly. First thing that is required if we're to walk properly is love. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. There's nothing more powerful in our lives than the love of God. 
And we know, according to 1 John 3.14, we have passed from death unto life when we love the brothers. And he who does not love his brother abides in death. These are the tests of whether or not someone is really a Christian or not. You can say whatever you want, but your actions, and my actions, reveal who we really are. 1 John 4.7, John had it right. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And so Paul's exhortation to them is to let this love and this spiritual growth that you've experienced just right out of the gate, right out of your commitment and being born again, and you're growing in grace, you're growing in love, just keep it going, keep growing. God loves that growth. And then just some practical advice here. Aspire, study, study to be quiet. You know, and the idea of eager, just let it be eager to be quiet. That's an interesting combination of words, but that's what he's saying to these new believers. And then some practical application. Mind your own business. We all need to hear that from time to time. Work with your own hands. Again, there's that creativity. If you're busy doing the do's, you don't have time for the don'ts. There are lots of ways to please God. We started out with that. The whole idea of being ready and to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord is to live a life as best you, you and I can to be pleasing to God. Lord, is there anything in my heart, in my life, that is not pleasing to you? Now, that's, a, that's sort of a dangerous prayer to pray, isn't it? Ooh, where's he going to go with this? <laughs> you know, <we're> so, <laughs> He might say something or show me something that I, that I don't want to hear or see, right? That's okay. He's gentle. He's a great surgeon. Okay, Lord. How to please God. We, exalt, we please God by exalting Jesus Christ, His Son. Matthew 3.17, Colossians 1, 15 and 19. By proclaiming the message of the cross, preaching the gospel, 1 Corinthians 1.18. By believing in God and His promises, Hebrews 11.6. We please God by asking for wisdom. We please God by staying away from sexual sin, by sharing the gospel with other believers, by giving others, by giving to others in time of need, by submitting to authority, by praising God for all things, and by confessing our sins to God. This glorifies Him because what confession is is becoming honest with reality. The reality that I have missed the mark, that you have missed the mark, and God knows it and you know it, and you say, here it is. There's a guy, I don't know that much about him, I, you know, he was a historical figure, Sam Houston. He married a, um, 
the daughter of a Baptist preacher. And he, you know, unfortunately for us, we don't instantly become saints, right? <laughs> There's a spiritual growth that needs to take place. So he he still had to overcome some of those old tendencies. So he's riding uh, his horse, and his horse stumbled, and he spontaneously cursed, reverting to his old habit. And so he was immediately convicted by the Spirit. So he got down off his horse, and he knelt down on the trail, and he cried out to God for forgiveness. And he, Like I said, he'd already received Christ. But God was teaching him to live in fellowship with him moment by moment. And this is, what ha- this is the way we're to deal with it. As soon as we recognize something is not right, or we've said or done something that is wrong, we need to immediately recognize it. The sooner we do it, the less damage it will do in our spirit, in our soul. So as soon as you become aware of something, admit it, confess it. And one of the things that's wonderful about God is He just immediately takes it away. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for these great promises, Lord, that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all our sin and to cleanse us, Lord, from all unrighteousness. We thank you for the cleansing power of your word. We thank you that we are in Christ. We are under the blood that we can cry out to have it applied moment by moment as we need it, Lord. We ask for mercy. We ask for grace. We ask for your blessing upon our lives, Lord. So lead us away from temptation, Lord, as the scripture says. Deliver us from the evil one. We're no match for him, Lord. We pray you shelter us. Put your angels round about us, Lord. Keep us from ourselves, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.